Welcome to Following the Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 7, titled The Most Powerful Man in the World and His Identical Twin Brother. Uh, what do you think of this episode? Uh, I thought it was incredible. I'm amazed at what uh, they can get away with on the show and have it be funny and yet not take away from any of the gravitas of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a minority opinion that this this season's not as good and it's it's lost its way, but uh, I think it's I, I I I don't agree with it. And you know, like I said last week, it seems hard to believe that that uh, Lindelof and Parada are just going to go back to the hotel. They're going to go back to the afterlife thing, and it's going to happen just like we did. And I, I thought that there might be another twist, but. The twist to split them into the twin brothers and have this existential fight um, outside themselves and to bring in some of the humor from the Kevins just calling bullshit on Patty one last time. I I thought it was great. I And coming in, I was like all Sunday I was thinking like, oh, man, I really hope. Like I didn't think they would shit the bed, but I was thinking that the ending might be a bummer. And after last, uh, after this weekend's episode, I don't, I, I don't have any fear of that anymore. Like I, whatever it's going to be, I think I'm going to enjoy it, and it's going to feel right because mm-hmm. this feels exactly like I felt after the penultimate episode of last season. Like, oh my god, this is amazing! How can they possibly uh, top it? And I think they're going to. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say um, how similar it felt to the feeling you got at the end of last season because. Really, they're retreading a lot of ground here. Um, oh, yeah. But they're doing it in a way that feels fresh. Uh, and I'm not quite sure exactly how they're doing it. I think not going literally back to the hotel was a smart idea. Um, I think that could have felt a little, uh, you know, rehashed, reheated. Um, I think it was really smart of them to not keep us sort of in... I'm going to call it the hotel, mm-hmm. even though, like, that's just going to be my shorthand for referring to it. Mm-hmm. Uh I think it was smart not to keep us in that the whole time, um, to have us come out and, you know, get a little bit of closure for John, uh, get a little closure for Grace, and then show us that maybe, like, because we've got this question, like, is the end of the world actually going to come? Right. You know, is is Kevin Sr. crazy, or are the things he's predicting going to happen? And I think the episode keeps you in suspense um, for most of it mm-hmm. um, as to whether that's going to happen, and it gives you a glimpse of something that could be you know, the end of the world, this flood that he's talking about. So I think it's smart uh, to kind of play in both of those worlds at the same time. Uh, Whereas International Assassin was pretty much all about that. It was all about the hotel. Yeah, I felt this was much more about understanding Kevin, or actually Kevin understanding himself. Yeah, yeah. And I also thought just, I mean, it... I think it's just so brilliant that they can tie this senior thing to the opening Millerite situation where you've got this guy after this 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 flood event and he's on the roof and he's right not ready to come back down because he's disappointed <laughs> not that the not that the world was spared but because he was wrong. Yeah. And you, and, and yeah. to be fair there's a lot to fall a fallout to deal with like it's one thing Killing to say the the police chief. I think it's one thing to say that you're happy to spend the rest of your life in jail, knowing that you saved the world. Are you going to be happy spending the rest of your life in jail, knowing that you wasted it, that mm-hmm. the world wasn't going to end, or maybe he can retro? I mean, the 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 thing the the illustration the Millerites suggest that 
this disappointment will be temporary and that maybe Senior can just go on being crazy in prison. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love that they bring all those themes and address it in a brisk hour show. Uh, And it never felt like I just... They got they pulled the dick joke of all dick jokes <laughs> twice. Yeah. Twice. And it still worked both times. I that is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. The fact that this is essentially if you've read if you read any behind the scenes stuff, this is Lindelof just mercilessly teasing Justin Thoreau's discomfort mm-hmm. of having been outed with a giant penis in the first season running those jogging pants uh. or the sweatpants. And he just works it in, but it, it it also feels it feels really good. It feels right, mm-hmm. and it's it's also hilarious. And you need some of this shit to be funny, or it'd probably be unbearable. I mean, I guess that's the leftover secret weapon that everyone is really likable, and the show knows how to be very funny, uh, and that's that's what keeps you watching. Sure, but yeah, I I'm blown away, and I'm I, I I my faith never really wavered, but I gotta say that it's 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 completely intact and unshakable going into next episode. I don't know what kind of shit show it would have to be for me to turn against it at this point. Yeah, with one episode left, I mean. You can't feel too disappointed, even if they shit the bed. And I don't even have expectations. Like mm-hmm. if if uh, you know Nora ends up dying uh, before it's too late, and what we saw in the 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 flash forward was her version of the International Hotel. Mm-hmm. I don't care because that's it. Still told an interesting arc about uh, this man in a love story, realizing too like that's that's kind of bittersweet. And if he ends up saving the day, or I I, I mean I don't know like who who I don't even care. I don't even care to to speculate on what's going to happen next week. That's the thing. A lot of people are, you know, asking questions that I guess I just don't even need an answer to. Like, what exactly is this other world that Kevin goes to? Is it another plane? Is it purgatory? What is it? I don't care. It sounds uh, like it's... How is he able to come back to life? I don't care. Yeah. Like, none of this matters to the story. I mean, I'm going to indulge in some trying to one last time decide whether we're men of faith, men of science. Um, but okay. I, don't, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like that. That's the thing. It's interesting to talk about, right? It is interesting, but ultimately, it doesn't matter to the story. No, it doesn't. And that's. I think that's that's kind of thrilling because it allows us. And maybe. I mean, I don't know how high concept this show is because if it's a way to get us to talk about religious faith and how we deal with grieving and how scared we are about dying without everyone getting their fucking hackles up about you know jesus and muhammad and and mm-hmm. yahweh and all that then bravo because you're right it takes a lot of the heat out of the situation when you're just just talking about a tv show man yeah is it is it real is it faith what is it who knows mm-hmm. but you're right for the story they're telling it's surprisingly for me anyway it it doesn't matter mm-hmm. i know like you know we got a lot of feedback from people who it, it does matter to and that's why i'm i'm con- um, considering it but it 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 just it just seems kind of beside the point, uh, for me. Yeah, uh, I think I'm in it mostly to see what happens with Kevin and Nora now. Like, mm-hmm. is there some reconciliation that can be had, or is that too far gone? Is it too late? Essentially, yeah. You know, she's off to do her own thing. Uh, we don't know how that turns out yet, but I guess we will next episode. Yeah, it could be like you know that seems the loose end to tie up. If if it goes to where it's like too late to reconcile, um, I, I still think that can be a positive because you go through life and you get hurt and you experience pain, you experience joy, and sometimes the things that are the painful and sad things teach you enough, teach you more. I mean, I, I mean that's a trite observation, right? Failure teaches you more than success. Sure. 
So getting knocked on your ass emotionally a time or two or realizing like what you really value out of a relationship is an incredibly valuable thing to take forward into the future rather than to see a guy like Kevin burn through Lori's uh, and Nora's and Jill's and Meg's and uh, wait, Jill. Wait, whoa. I meant to say Meg. I said Jill. That's his daughter. That's Burns that's that's a bright white line. Don't his, don't. his daughter's friends, maybe. <laughs> um, it, it, it's one thing to see, like, you know, like uh, that. That's Don Draper, right? Sure. In season yeah. one, you think Don Draper. Oh, how cool. He's just going through all these women. He looks so cool. But you find out what an empty, hollow shell he is. Yeah. Um, if this is a story about a guy who could have gone like Don or, or Dick Whitman and ends up filling that empty hole inside of him and can be a healthy, happy person going forward, or he goes scuba diving with Lori. I don't know, but like all those are all interesting and kind of uh, uplifting in their own ways. Well, that's the thing. Like Kevin and Lori didn't reconcile in any kind of like romantic or like a romantic relationship kind of way. They did get but closure, they, but right, like they do come to a respect and understanding of each other, and I think that that could be a potentially satisfying outcome with Kevin and Nora as well. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Like, it might even be the case that Nora never sees Kevin again and, and vice versa, right? Like, could be. It, it might be that. And I, I probably would be okay with that depending on how they go. Yeah. Um, but really, I'm, I'm pretty wide open going into this final episode. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, I don't know whether it's because I've been cultivating that, as I said the last few weeks, that I've been trying to avoid having this, like, expectations that this, this thing has to happen here, this thing has to happen there, and I've just been yeah. like, I'm just going to let it wash over me and you know, reserve judgment for when it's all over. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've uh, it's it's like the fucking secret. I've envisioned the the course of action that I want my life to take, and that's what's happened. So, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I just I know that I don't have any kind of real hot expectations either way. And, okay. And this is, this is also unique in that... I don't. I'm with you. I don't have a lot of big questions that I need answered too. I mean, there's... I, I really want. I I want to see the finality of Nora's emotion. Essentially, like where do we leave Nora at the end of this series? Because uh, I feel like we've got the we've got the bookmark where we leave Kevin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if Kevin's not even in the next episode, like I think he's, he's probably going to be in it, but I don't think it'll be the focus of it. I think Nora will be more the focus. Uh, right. It's called the Book of Nora, for God's sake. Right. Um, Which do you think the Book of Nora is what Kevin was writing? That that uh, book that Patty makes uh-huh. him read this episode? Yeah. Uh, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, it looks a lot like uh, the Book of Kevin, right, in its, exactly. its form, its right. physical form. So I... I could see those being, no pun intended, bookends to mm-hmm. the season. Mm-hmm. You know, different as night and day. Would you say? I would say that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it. It seems obvious now. If it is literally the book of Kevin, or that that's the book of Nora, then that's that's kind of pessimistic. If you're a, a Nora mm-hmm. Kevin shipper, because it ends up with Kevin, you know. But on the other hand, it also could be his realization that I hate this ending. This ending sucks. Right. And he's in essentially a negaverse at that uh-huh. point. So it could be the exact opposite of how this story is going to end. I don't know. Yeah. And also like, you know, people are t- taking like, you know, a lot of clues for we should uh, to, to like who won, you know, you've got the guilty remnant, Kevin versus the international assassin, Kevin international assassin wants to go home. Guilty remnant. Kevin doesn't believe in family. Guilty remnant. Kevin wins. 
but I don't feel like that's what I saw. I feel like I saw a synthesis of those two. Yeah. Like, let's do something so drastic that we can't ever retreat. Let, let's burn this bridge so we can't ever retreat back over it again. Yeah. And we're no longer going to be fascinated by it and try to, to recla- reclaim it. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, the guilty remnant president, Kevin, uh, represents his tendency to, you know, sever all his ties from mm-hmm. people, right? Mm-hmm. And the international assassin, Kevin, is the guy who really thrives and feels like the most powerful man in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's at his best when he's off the grid doing his own thing yeah, um, and doesn't have those attachments. So I feel like both of those guys kind of represent all of Kevin in a way, Yep, and they're just coming together. Yep. Before we get too much further into the episode proper, I want to tell you about all the things going on at baldmove.com this week. Uh, things that already happened you might have missed over the weekend. We had a uh, podcast, commission podcast for American Gangster and Twin Peaks Dropping, which uh, I enjoy both of those. Uh, accessing it also late last week, dropped coverage for the season so far of American Gods and Handmaid's Tale uh, with a little bit of discussion about Sense8, if you want to check that on Bald Move TV. Uh, there's no Better Call- Cast Saul this week because uh, Better Call Saul wasn't on because of Memorial Day. Uh, there will be a Fargo episode as scheduled later this week. And also don't forget Wonder Woman. Hopefully DC will get it right on Thursday night. <laughs> we'll have a first-run Bald Movie out for your enjoyment. Uh, check it all out on baldmove.com. Uh, so I move before we go into the, the talk about the episode that, cause we did this the last year too. I moved that we kind of take this more chronologically than we usually do because it is a single focus and I kind of don't want to miss anything. Okay. Uh, I'm not talking about a recap. I'm just saying, let's take the points as they go. And the first thing I want to talk about, were you blown away by how much more gravitas the introduction had with the season one. It's it's music. a powerful theme, yeah. I mean, it changed the entire fucking mood of that thing. Yeah. Like, I was like, and in fact, I was moved. Did did, did you go back and watch the season one pre- uh, opener? Oh, with the, the angels and stuff? No. I did, I and like, oh, because I always thought that was so visually interesting and so many things you could take from it and so many different interpretations. Um, and I, I, that's one of my, maybe game of Thrones is my favorite, uh, show opener, but the season one, the leftovers was right up there with it. Um, and I just, yeah, if you haven't seen it in a while, of course it's not on the pilot episode. You have to watch episode two to see it. Um, but it's, it's incredible. And I couldn't believe how much more moving and, uh, emotional the credits were with that nostalgic music back in there. And also, is there a hundred percent or 110% chance that next week is let the mystery be? (laughs) It's pretty good. It's a pretty good chance. I mean, I don't like this. This feels like as much people, as much as some people such as your half of the podcast has bitched about this decision. It does feel like this is all led up to that creative decision all led up to this moment where they can, you know, both pay homage and, and one last gentle reminder to like, not worry too much about the facts and listen to your heart on this show. Right. But hell, he might, you know, might end up with a, you know, a Patty Duke song. Who knows? Yeah. That's what we're all expecting. So, um, I also liked because, you know, a couple podcasts ago, we were talking about how almost inevitable it was that Kevin and Nora would 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 break up, mm-hmm. and how that like that made a lot of sense. And like, okay, well, yeah, you know, there's a lot of di- but this scene where they're discussing what they should do with each other when they die, I thought it was a great reminder of like why we love Kevin and Nora together. Yeah, like they're just first of all, they're super physically attractive people. 
they both have really good senses of humor mm-hmm. and like I feel like this is my idea of what a healthy relationship looks like. That <laughs> is so fucked up. I mean it's it's incredibly fucked. Right. This whole relationship. But I mean I love it. I mean that's like uh there are a lot my of my wife and I, I like joke about, about like really dark and disturbing shit all the time. So maybe this is just a very you know, again, this is why I fucking think this show is made for me. But, like, Kevin and Nor interacting about being stuffed and, like, all that stuff just mm-hmm. really, I thought was a nice reminder for people that are, like, had Nor and Kevin fatigue about how they look at their best. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cut to him as he slides beneath the bathtub to Great him cut. drowning was superb. Now, yeah. and I was thinking, like, the physical acting that he did drowning um, was both profound and technically demanding. Uh, I did notice like um, on my third watch, because I'm like, God, if I'm an actor and I'm being like super waterboarded and my nose is at an angle where water is just shooting up, at like, how do I, how do you do that without actually drowning? And then I noticed that the bubbles were going up at a 45 degree angle. Oh, they did so the they've actually magic. so he's he's lying probably not even fully horizontal, and they tilted the camera to make it look like he's on a teeter totter. But gotcha. it still, it took me three fucking times before I even thought to, to, to notice that. So yeah, um, all that stuff where he was kind of like having these little mini seizures, and then it every time it cut to, um, you know, the, him being in the International Hotel Land or Purgatory was I just thought that those were really great examples of acting and editing. Yeah, and I think um, the International Assassin theme, uh, let's call it that, is. Mm-hmm. Used brilliantly here because it immediately let, lets you know that this is going to work. Yes. You're not questioning, oh, is he just going to die here? No. I'm hearing the song that I hear every time he goes to the hotel. Yes. I know it's working. Yes. And I so what was the point of them, of them waking him up as he's like about the transition and they're like, oh, I thought we were going to do this together. And he just essentially briefly shows that he's got mastery of what they've all requested. Right. Even to the ex- extent that he can name this, this woman's kids off at the top of his uh, head. What was the point of that? That's a good question. I, I mean, it's a really funny joke when Kevin Sr. is just like, I thought we were going to do this, this together. together. Right. <laughs> he's kind of looking around for everybody's uh-huh, support. Uh-huh. I don't know. I, I thought it was really hilarious, and I hadn't really thought if there was a larger point to it. I mean, you're right. It might be just like the dick joke is there just to be funny. That's um, true. So, yeah. like, it's it's entertaining to see Kevin Sr. just tear-assing around, just disgusted with Lori and what a traitor she is. Mm-hmm. And then you find out his son's out there just drowning himself, and now he's got to save him. Yeah. Which... I mean, I thought the whole point was, like, Kevin, you know, maybe he's resilient to death, but, like, I mean, this this might be a man of science, Aaron, talking, but, like, I do feel like the guy can die. If he goes drowns himself and there's no one to bring him back out of the water or there's no Michael to dig himself up or there's no... Right, we kind of talked about it. Or there's no earthquake you know. to drain. Like, what the fuck was, I mean... And I, but it, but I think that's all intentional because halfway through the episode, Michael appreciates that, like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is he's wanting to eventually not wake up. Uh, yeah, I suppose so. Now, um, I'm not saying that's that stayed the same throughout this episode, sure, but sure. I do think that he wanted to die, or or at the very least, spend more time in that place, right? The place where he never felt more alive. And, you know, in, a possible end game would be to stay there forever. Yeah, sure. Um, Which he <laughs> violently rejects by the end of this episode. But, right, yeah, right. at the beginning, very different person. Um, 
I also liked how, because the next scene is he wakes up on the beach and he's getting beat the hell out of this big dude that's mad about him killing his brother. Any idea about that? Uh, I mean, it it takes us back to the assassin that tried to kill him in the International oh, Assassin right. episode. Right. But I don't that's know if he's trying to guy. say anything. That's just a big guy's brother. Um, yeah. So I also like how much they played with people's identities. There were several times where who was coming into a particular scene was kept hidden. Yep. Like, for example, um, when Dean landed and, you know, there's this person in black with a mask on, I'm like, uh, that could be Lori. That could be Nora. <laughs> that could be, I was like, and then when it sh- when he pulls his mask off, it's like, oh, shit, it's Dean. Okay, this makes perfect sense. I guessed everyone correctly except for the vice president. Oh, you thought that, you knew that was Dean? Yeah, that that was my first guess. I can't believe. Yeah, I the vice president was such a <laughs> a mind fucked. I I would I almost frankly wouldn't believe anyone that told me that I like, I knew that was Meg. Yeah, like because yeah. like everyone was primed to think that was as soon as he goes, it's a woman. Uh-huh. Kevin was thinking Lori or Nora. Yeah, Lori or Nora. And we know that Lori killed herself in the last episode, right. so you just assume it's Lori. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Meg. Hm. Um. So anyway, uh, there's also this this talk of reflective surfaces. I don't know that there's any meaning to that. It's just a it's just dream logic, you know. You you look mm-hmm. into reflection and you can switch the bodies with your twin brother. And I think you know the idea of self reflection yeah. um, would have solved a lot of Kevin's problems. Oh. And that's essentially what he's doing this entire time is that's true looking inward um, to to the key. Jesus heart. It's all. I also couldn't help but notice that there's a lot of inconsistencies to this. Like for example, Dean's frantically running around smashing mirrors and sunglasses, but he's got a giant lens on his chest. Right. Um, <laughs> but that's dream logic, right? It, uh-huh. it literally. I mean, I've, I mean, I surely everyone's had the experience of being in the middle of a dream and you think this is. Wait a second. This has gone too far. This is dumb. I'm dreaming. Yeah. Like that's that's just a manifestation of this, right? Hmm. Um, I also like Dean kind of shaming him for writing this love novel. Like, you know, like, what is this? Um, also, just just to get the theme of International Ke- uh, Assassin Kevin versus Guilty Remnant Kevin, the beginning of this novel, or maybe this is the end of a different book of Nora, um, seemed like it was a lot more hopeful. It's about Kevin going on for a quest to find her. Hmm. Whereas the last page of the book of Nora that Patty's got, that Guilty Remnant Kevin wrote, is I'm trying desperately to get away because yeah. I don't know how to handle this much love. Uh-huh. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was all great. Um, also, just, again, I like the ma- the mastery of Kevin's, uh, of this dream logic where he just comes in and um, the guy's like, you got to kill the president. Are you okay with that? It's like, yep, uh, but I'm going to need you to find a couple people. He's just, like, on mission. <laughs> sure, yeah. Which is also, I guess, a shorthand for him not really he's completely substituted what he wants for what everyone else wants yeah it's interesting i I don't know i guess why why is he coming here because i I get the feeling that he didn't necessarily come here to heal himself Mm -hmm. um and he didn't also necessarily come here just for the missions that these people had given him um so when michael asked that question like why are you doing this i feel like even kevin himself would have a hard time explaining it yeah, and I'm. Won- and he doesn't. Tell I'm, I'm wondering if you know, because who knows how to interpret all this. But the way I'm, I'm still kind of man of science, Aaron. I'm interpreting this as when Kevin is speaking, it's it's his conscious self that's speaking, mm-hmm. and when Patty and others are speaking to him, it's his subconscious self. Right. And 
last year we had the guy well it's actually a year before that um say i want to go home and no one questions it they just facilitate it mm-hmm. but here we have his subconscious mind expressed through patty and and others like is that what you really want yeah like like really wrestle with it and it seems like he came up with the same answer but i feel like that's valid because there's a difference between wanting something without thinking it through and then you know like like Wanting something you don't have and having something you don't want, there's a there's a distinction between those two. Sure, I feel like with this, it's like him trying to understand why he wants it and the things that are preventing him from enjoying the things that he wants. Yeah, and it's something that he probably couldn't express, you know, in words consciously, right? Right. But when he goes to this place, he can allow his subconscious and his his more, uh, I guess, core parts to voice themselves yeah and he can sort of do some self-reflection and listen to him i really like in this in in general but i want to talk specifically are you because so he he puts in his little earpiece because he's got to get high level access to talk to the prime minister of australia mm-hmm. who is christopher sunday awesome uh, but he does it and it's it's uh, david burton aka god um, and he tells him to look in the mirror and you can switch but and, and and he switches bodies with president uh garvey uh for, he goes from assassin harvey to president garvey does it did it bother you at any point that none of this made any sense uh in what way i guess i no <laughs> my first reaction is no it did not bother me so you because just... i i think all of it has you know a meaning that is not literal Mm-hmm. but is is figurative and and means a lot to Kevin. And yeah. I, I remember clearly having thoughts when he picked up the piece of mirror and he started looking at himself and said, and he switched over to Kevin, you know, President Kevin. I remember thinking, like, I don't know about this because it seems like that it is a little bit of a cop-out that if you are a creator that you can – you can write anything you want. Like nothing has to make any kind of logical sense. Like moving the plot along is, is meaningless. Like you can flop a dick on a scanner and that's how you get through the door. Sure. Sure. But on, on the other hand, that's ridiculous, but I don't think the, the lens, the, the reflection is ridiculous. I think it's all about self-reflection. And so by looking into these mirrors or whatever, he's able to see the other side of himself. Yeah. But but I also think that like there is something to say about having complete creative freedom as a storyteller, mm-hmm. and it reminded some of this reminded me of like the best of the Rick and Morty episodes where they can be both funny and meaningful at the same time because they are like you know, when you got multiple universes and time travel and interdimensional travel and 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 many worlds to play with, you can do things that. Um, you know, without any kind of constraint, like, you know, it's not like sure, Breaking yeah. Bad where it's like, oh, well, Walt's got to do this, but he's only he's not a gangster. How's he going to do it? Mm-hmm. it? It's like it's a cop out, but it's also a lot. It's a complete expression of these two creators creativity, which I I guess that's what when, once once Kevin says I'm the president and then everyone applaud applauded. I'm like, OK, all right, I'm I'm relaxing. I'm just going to enjoy this. Yeah, I think um it's interesting that Christopher Sunday is the prime minister of Australia mm-hmm. because you also see the GR being in a position of power here mm-hmm. um, with President Kevin. Uh, They've infiltrated the entire president's presidential staff, as far as I can tell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the GR essentially runs things, and that's very different from how it is in the real world. And, you know, you look at what happened to uh, the aboriginal people mm-hmm. over in Australia, 
very different from how it turns out in Christopher Sunday as the Prime Minister land, right? Right, right. So I I don't know. I really liked the the inversions there, and there are a lot of inversions in this world. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's it makes a world sense when you're looking back and forth into a mirror. Everything's going to be a mirror image of it, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh I mean, I I don't know how many you want to list here, but Evie is like a prime example of that mm-hmm. as well. You know, she thinks so. Oh, her family's dead and she's alive. Uh, she's not part of the GR in this this world. Um, she's very much against it. I don't know. There there are a lot of inversions. It's almost like everyone in this world is like a sixth sense style ghost. They don't know they're dead. Yeah. Or they, in fact, they maybe they think they they were abandoned by everybody else. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, now there weren't. I'm contrasting this to International Assassin's uh, Hotel. Um, there weren't seemingly, seemingly as many background mysteries. Like there wasn't a woman wa- running around trying to deliver a heart to transplant in Spanish, and uh-huh. there wasn't um, a guy with a head a bag over his head. Uh, although that seems like. Now that I'm thinking about it, remember because when he was in International Assassin mode, he walked right past a guy who was dressed as Kevin Garvey in his Mapleton Police Department uniform mm. with a bag on his head. I wonder if that points that Kevin could have done, like, Kevin could have come to this realization back then. He just chose not to. I think so, and I think the heart transplant was maybe part of that. I, right. Because in this episode, we deal heavily with hearts, right? And and the key behind the heart yeah. is... And, and, uh, I'm not suggesting uh, you're not <laughs> suggesting that Lindelof planned all this out from like season one. I mean, I think he had a, a character arc for Kevin, and if we would have left it at season two, that would have been the hopeful, happy moment for Kevin, right? Where he returns to his family, uh-huh. and you think everything's going to be okay for but, Kevin. But you don't literally think that, for example, in season one, I think there is uh, a scene where Lori is in a therapist office with Patty. And Patty's talking about the experience of her husband leaving her. It's like a man, someone has his hand inside my chest, squeezing my heart. Right. Which then literally happens in this episode. I don't think for a minute that Lindelof had that in mind. In fact, he said that after season sure. one, they had a blank slate heading into season two. Mm-hmm. And since he didn't know that season two was well, there was going to be a season three on the horizon, I assume the same thing. I just think that he very skillfully. Like, you know, Vince Gilligan goes through the past and sees, like, oh, look at all this heart imagery. And, oh, I've read this thing about this, uh, this, this uh, you know, nu- nuclear um, uh, ethicist that is talking about this Fisher's protocol. And, mm-hmm. oh, this is just going to line up. And you just got to spitball between these writers, and this is what you come up with. Yeah, and I think it's a lot easier to do that when you have a thematic uh, narrative in mind for mm-hmm. a character. Mm-hmm. Like, this is this character's journey to... Uh, heal himself to understand that you know he's cutting himself off from everyone and he mm-hmm. needs to do something about that and change. Um, and if you revisit that a couple times in a row, um, mm-hmm. as far as like season two and season three go, I think you almost automatically build in those very similar ideas. Yeah, you know. I also i th- I thought it was really smart to have the guilty remnant kind of in a background this whole season to have them kind of roar back in the penultimate episode because mm-hmm. I thought it was super awesome to see uh President Garvey with his ice cream suit, yeah, and you're talking about traditions like i i I thought this was a oh man, there's so many things to unpack number one, I think this is a genius performance of a person who's acting like he's a bad actor, uh-huh, we talked about this in Better Call Saul last week, which I thought was a particularly bad example of someone acting as if they're a bad actor 
I thought this was a good example um, and just speaks to the brilliance of uh, Justin here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually thought this was a fairly well-constructed speech. You're going to rail against traditions of marriage from a guilty remnant perspective. Like, look at us. We've had these traditions of not sm- of smoking and refraining from speaking, but those traditions were stupid. Right. Like, it's, it's also <laughs> kind of a – it's a great speech, but it's a dream speech because there's no art to it. It's just yeah. laying out. It's like, so now we're looking at this mar- this <laughs> institution of marriage, and this is Kevin, the one who doesn't like commitment. And, like, why why is that the end goal, that you're just going to be lashed to this person like fucking Moby Dick? Yeah, and he t- he trails off a sentence and then says, I'm the president, and everybody applauds, <laughs> so like good. you said. It's Yeah, it's totally a dream speech, right. and, and it doesn't need to make perfect sense. But the one thing I really do love about um, – I guess there's a, an interesting connection between the International Assassin episode and this episode um, in that Patty Patty and the GR are a big focus of that International uh, Assassin episode. Because yeah, he's trying to get rid of Patty at that point. Right, but but it's sort of recontextualized here by Patty saying, look, you helped me once, now I'm helping you. Um, he He helped her come to her own place of healing right back in international assassin uh she got a better understanding of herself and she died in that well um and and it was interesting because the ideas that you know she had was we're going to destroy families mm-hmm. um that that's a, a turn of phrase that kevin coined in that episode for mm-hmm. her uh, and she was all aboard with that and i think you know going back to that and saying okay well now they're accomplishing their goal and is that something kevin actually believes in at this point because that whole speech with like back in international assassin between Kevin and Patty was all about how you can on the on the inside totally agree with somebody mm-hmm. and their motives and everything they say and yet take action that is completely contradictory to that. And I yeah. think Kevin has been doing that this entire time with the GR, right? He's been trying to put them down. He's been trying to stop them. Right. Um, and I think all along he has sort of believed in their idea of destroying families. It's, it's just like the super conservatives that are closet, that are that are that, you know persecuting the gay lifestyle. Exactly. To find out they're closeted gay. They're doing that because they're scared to death. Right. Of their selves. Yeah. So, you know, like, like I'm, I'm afraid, you know, like no, normal people that don't have um, a homosexual proclivity or like leanings are not wired that way. Don't go through life afraid they're going to one day like see a particularly good looking man and go fuck him in a bathroom stall. <laughs> right. Like right. I have not ever been afraid that I'm going to no. just, oh God, accidentally fuck a man because that's not, <laughs> but if you are, Whoops. you're born that way, but you're told it's terrible. It's like, that's something yeah. you got to constantly fight against those urges. Like that's not right. the way it works, man. You're just gay and you can't handle it. Yeah. And that's what Kevin's doing here, you know? And I, I also, I didn't, I speaking of inartful dream words, I didn't mean to imply that homosexuals are not normal when i said if you're normal uh, i was wondering was about just, that but yeah okay well, i just want to clarify <laughs> because it, it sounded harsh to my own thine own ears so okay um uh, yeah it's exa- it's a lot like that yeah but i i don't know i really like that idea that they would bring bring that back into like real focus here mm-hmm. um with kevin you know essentially being at the cusp of accomplishing that goal and then having patty guide him to a place where he decides fuck that that's not what i want mm-hmm. um you know, and he rips the key out of his own chest and <laughs> blows up that world, mm-hmm. uh, so he can never come back to it. I, I think, I don't know. I thought that was a really powerful idea. He meets the Playfords. Uh, mm-hmm. Liam has written an essay about how marriage is uh, is an evil institution. How children are are better off without it. Um, 
And Kevin, like he says, well, guy, Liam, wear your shoes. It, it seems like it's an off-the-cuff like improv, but it's also very much on mission. Yeah. And Liam's not having it. Uh-huh. And Kevin's like, you know, there's people that care about you. that They wonder about what, what happened to your shoes. He's like, well, who cares? There's no such thing as family. Right. Um, and then Evie crashes the event singing Love Will Bring Us Together, which, as you said, that's an inversion because she's now – like the last time we saw these red shirts – um, they were all people saying, don't forget about the drone strike on Evie. Yeah. Back at, at the very beginning of this season. Yeah. Yeah. One, where, right. Where, where they were the ones to poison the well. Yeah. Literally. Um, and here she is railing against this presidential administration and lost a don't drone strike to kill everyone but her. Yeah. Uh, which I thought, I thought was great. So that, that, that leads the secret service to usher him into this limo. And they're saying they got to take him to a bunker with you, their unique biometrics. And again, this is one of the reasons this episode works so well is because the whole time the show is calling just how stupid it all is. Right. Like, it's like, you, you know, it's like it, you, you can only be open with your unique biometrics, which is completely secure unless you have an identical twin brother, uh-huh. which would be ridiculous. <laughs> um, so we get Kevin says, look, I got I, I need to talk to her and I'm not going to go to the damn bunker until I do. And so they escort Evie into the limo. Did you notice behind Evie? There's a particular pattern in the fabric. Because my my wife and I were watching this. She's like, do you see the dicks in the upholstery behind Evie's head? And I'm like, oh, that's the got... Dicks? Right, no, they're obvious phallic imagery. There's a cock and balls woven into the fabric that's in the limo headboard behind, behind her. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would that be I, and there? I'm like, I'm like, I, that, and that's what I said. Yeah. And then five minutes later, he's flopping his dick into the scanner. I'm like, fucking Lindelof, you crazy okay. man. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's maybe. got. No, I'm convinced that they they picked out the most phallic looking fabric, or maybe even custom made it just to keep the dick joke going. It's a pretty good joke. I mean, it's it lands. Good. Uh, it lands pretty heavily. Right. I would say with a thud, it lands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I, I don't. The Foley artist on this is to really he deserves the Emmy above everyone else. Yeah, we got feedback about that because I was I always like thinking about, uh, and I thought this ever since um, I was watching some of the commentary on the Indiana Jones movies, mm-hmm. and I think the Foley artists are inspired, and they're talking about like every time like Indiana Jones punches someone, it's a sound of like they got a bunch of catcher's mitts. Like a pile, and some of the baseball bat slaps, hits it as hard as it can. Uh-huh. I'm like, fuck yeah, Indiana. Jo-. Like that's like what the sound of Indiana Jones face hitting or a hand hitting someone's face would sound like. And yeah. and his like <laughs> revolver is actually like a 50 millimeter cannon or something. Okay. Um, like like mm-hmm. it's like they everything's larger than life. Like, and I'm like, okay, you know, I that must be a fun job to come up with like stuff to fit. But like the guy, like. I can't imagine, like, sitting there at your desk and you get across the assignment. Like, we're going to have Justin Theroux's presumably massive schlong slapping a <laughs> plastic-slash-metal surface. Yeah. Please come up with the sound of that. Like, do you just take, like, a loaf of bologna and drop it on a counter table? Like, I guess so, yeah. Um, so, Damien Lindelof posted on Instagram. And I, don't know if the, the, I don't know whether to take this serious or not because he also just loves giving Justin Theroux shit about his penis. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the sound with the Foley artist actually is the sound of a live adult ferret being dropped onto a homemade quilt. I I'm trying to imagine what like, that sounds like. I guess like, if you I... mic up right underneath the quilt, mm-hmm. maybe you could get like and this like you know live human ferret, which is also kind mm-hmm. of a funny way to think of 
the thing bouncing around in his sweatpants. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's the official story. I don't know. There could be a cover up here. Uh, but as soon as Evie asked him, is this what you want? He starts throwing up water, which I thought was super effective and cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and the other thing is they use flashbacks in this episode impeccably. Like every single time he's coming back, they, they make a literal association with his fights with Laura and his like tying or not Laura, Nora, his, his tying the, uh, laundry bags over his head and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, they rescue him now. I don't understand why, I guess because they're, I guess they're afraid that it – that this is one of the only problems I have with this episode is that they assert that there's a flood happening, but it's just really hard rain. Sure. Like, why did you get me out of the pond? There is no pond. The whole – no, fuck you. I saw it. No, that's not true. But you can also see how someone with a distorted sense of what's happening might read into uh, a little bit too far into what's going on. Right. Like, you see – puddles start pooling up in the front yard and you're like well this is it but, but this what is the I'm thing we've is, been expecting let's get kevin out of there because holy fuck the whole thing's about to go but about to go that's what i'm saying like i don't like to me that's something where like the other end of teeter-totters underwater and you're treading water and like the roof is covering up if you're really that convinced that christopher sunday is the salvation and you know Kevin needs as much time. I, I, well, I, he's he's got to stop the flood, right? Like that's the whole idea. He's hoping to pull Kevin out and Kevin have uh, having have learned, yeah, having learned the song, so he can stop this torrential downpour. Do you have an idea of how long he's been under the water? Too? No, not really. That's the other. It's like I if I I, I I think there'd be more speculation about whether this is real or not if we had more details. Because the other thing they yeah. noted is that Kevin is like hyperthermic, yeah, which. If you are playing the Man of Science card this whole time, you'll note that, like, that is a big advantage. You know, when people fall in the freezing water, like, there's been tales of people been drowned for over an hour, and they pull them out from underneath ice and whatnot and resuscitate them, and they're fine. So he's not fully, because he just says he feels cold. I don't know that he's hyperthermic, but that, I think they're trying to suggest that. Hmm. Um, here's the thing where, so he tells he tells um, John that he relayed the message to Evie, and that's, that's all John needs to hear. To lose yeah. his shit. Yep. He tells he, he gets closure, right? That's what he wanted. Right. He doesn't even need to hear the response, which would uh, would be interesting. And, Grace just yeah. needs to hear that his her kids don't know where her shoes went. Which, mm-hmm. and why does it matter? <laughs> yeah, and I'm 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 look I was looking at her face trying to see like what is she getting from that because as a parent is she like well that sounds like my kids or is it like this sounds like a made up bullshit story or. And then Kevin or Kevin Senior doesn't get anything that he wants. Yeah. So he's got to go back out, and like Michael starts questioning about whether this is right for Kevin. I mean, Kevin's body is cold; it's shutting down. Are you are you actually killing yourself here? And Kevin Senior doesn't want any of that nonsense. He throws everybody out the room. Well, I I really like John getting closure here because it's happening in exactly the same way that he would give someone closure in. Yes, the, I'm glad you said that. You know, his operation with Lori, right? This Indeed. quote unquote scam, and I think. A big reason why he got into that in the first place is probably because he himself is looking for closure. But, and he understands the importance of it. And if he can give it to someone else, yeah, that's like a great thing for him. Do you think it was weird that he doesn't suspect that? Like, oh, you're just telling me what I want to hear. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because like, he just bounces up. Yeah, I, I was just with Evie, mm-hmm. and I gave her a message. And that's like literally all he needed to hear. Maybe, yeah. maybe he doesn't want to follow up because he's afraid that that's what is happening, and he doesn't want to confirm it. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, it's a good thing he didn't ask because the answer was not great. No. No, it wasn't. It was But it would make – honestly, it's it's the most Evie-like answer you would get. 
Think you know, because so. she is yeah. defiant and she doesn't accept people's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he tells his 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 dad that uh, it's only my biometrics that let me into the bunker. And I, I thought it was interesting because it's Kevin Senior getting confronted with nonsense, and he's just matter of fact with it. Like, is that supposed to mean anything? It's like, oh, it doesn't mean anything to me. All right, guess I'm drowning now. Glug glug. Yeah. Um. What? How are we supposed to feel about this scene with Senior and Junior? Like, did you? I didn't feel there was especially any tenderness or, like, it's it's. I I felt throughout all my watchings that this was Kevin Senior just wanting to keep Kevin Junior back on mission. Yeah, I do believe him that he would he would take he would gladly take his place if he could, but I didn't think there was any kind of like you you contrast. You contrast Kevin Senior answering a question: "Would you kill a baby to cure cancer?" And he's like, "God, no." But mm-hmm. would you drown your son to achieve your bullshit purpose in life? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a big contradiction there, I think, anyway. Yeah, there is. And, and it's also, um, I guess he has to do it personally here, right? He has to push Kevin down under uh-huh. the water as opposed to all he has to do on the the seesaw is let go, right? There's a big difference, I think, between those two acts. Um, so I think it's a little harder for him this second time around. That's a good point. Uh, so we're at the biometric scanner, and they have the penis joke, which mm-hmm. again, I don't. I'm not sure how you get away with this because that's got a that's 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 some balls on you to put this joke in the middle of the leftovers and expect that everyone involved, from the actor to the foley artist to the audience themselves, are going to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Like like you have to write that on a keyboard before you film it and kind of know it's going to work. I would be too chicken shit to do anything like this. Yeah, I mean, the the spirit of this show is surprisingly playful at times. Yeah. Uh, and su- surprisingly crude and surprisingly uh, a lot of different things. Is that a, another way to say that this show is just so human? Uh, yeah, Because I think that's so. life, right? Like, it's sure. like any time, like I remember back when I was a uh, a believer that I came to the conclusion that God must have a pretty skewed sense of humor. But not just because of the platypus, just because of like, you know, if if you believe half the things about God are true, the only way you could I mean, get out of the celestial bed in the morning is if you kind of look at the world with a little bit of a, you know, cockeyed, wry look. Hmm. See, yeah. I worked in cock into the dick joke segment. Very nice. Uh, also, uh, they're asking the three questions to <laughs> to identify to, to identify him and his favorite movie is The Godfather. Uh-huh. Part two, which I'm like, shit, this 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 shit's made for me, <laughs> right? Um, and then, so when they said, and who's the Secretary of Defense? Did you have? Did you know it was going to be Patty? That was my guess. Yeah, really. But I get the impression that I was always looking for Nora or Lori. I was, yeah. So when 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 Patty came up, I'm like, she, wow, that's that's inspired though. Yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. You know, he he thought he had dealt with this before. He's back in the same place again. Who's he going to see? Um, mm-hmm. but I, I wonder if he could have asked for anyone mm-hmm. because uh, Patty later says like, look, you're, you named me, you're, you brought me here yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all, you know, this dream world thing, right? There's this bunker that only he can get into with his unique biometrics. And yet somehow Patty is inside there already, mm. um, before he even arrives. Mm-hmm. So I, I get the distinct impression that he could have asked for anyone Yeah, and that he chose, patty because she he helped her and she was on the road to helping him uh and thought she had 
until uh, he what's had a, another good example slide. of dream logic they wanted him to invoke defcon 1 before he got there we now know if he had then he would have been locked out right so yeah. uh there again it's dream logic Yep. Uh, so they get in there. Um, that brings me to another question. Do you yeah. think Kevin could have chosen any suit in this dream world? Because we know he chose a couple of different suits in International Assassin in that hotel world. That's a damn fine question because there's a lot of – I got a lot of Dean, speculation and feedback that I had to unfortunately cut out because it didn't come to pass. But people are like, oh, he's going to choose the priest robes this time. or Right. Like Dean that, that like choice... specifically asks him, like, what – you know what your job is or whatever, and he's like, yeah, I'm an assassin. Mm-hmm. Could he have said, yeah, I'm the chief of police in Mapleton? Well, I mean, because there's a lot of... It seems like there was a lot of him going along with things. Like, is that your bungalow? Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, who are you? So I feel like that, yes, he had... He could have made choices there which would change the narrative. I think so. But um, it's also kind of... I felt... Watching this show felt like dramatic improv. You know, like, whose line mm-hmm. is anywhere, like, comedy improv? Like, I've never heard of dramatic improv where you're actually trying to yes-and someone's suggestions in a dramatic vein. Because mm-hmm. it seems like it seems that, that seems like that always ends toward or lends itself towards, you know, absurdist stuff, right? Because just weird shit's coming out. But, like, this is a sure. this is kind of like dramatic improv. I mean, clearly it's scripted, but it yeah, felt yeah. that way. Like, Kevin just yes-anding every, yeah. everything his subconscious is throwing at him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things he yes ends is his vice president being Meg. I didn't see that coming. I did not see that coming. I was convinced it was going to be Lori or or Nora, and that was going to tell us something fundamental about you know Kevin and his choices. Yeah, but it was Meg, <laughs> which I don't know what that says. Uh, Meg was like the anti GR in. Well, that's what it's because like the Patty real hates, world. Like yeah, it seems like that was one of the things they're trying to get at that like. Patty and Meg had a fundamentally different idea of what the guilty remnant should be, and that Meg yeah. may, maybe was more of a a closeted Christian because she found, you know, in death she's found God, and she's it's just an amazing love affair. And, mm. Whereas, you know, Patty asserts in this episode <laughs> there is no God. But I get the impression that the God she found was just David Burton with the "Yes, I am God" card, right? <laughs> Like Could as be. he call it's it, a just, pick up line. just a pickup line, yeah. which kind of recontextualizes his experience on the lion boat. It does. Like, oh, oh, you had to get across to Melbourne uh-huh. uh, that particular night, or were you wanting to play the "I'm God" card? And is that what is 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 the one dude to turn you down? You threw him off the boat. Yeah, and I mean, is we God speculated gay? about maybe David Burton having a identical twin brother with this, which still could this be true. Cliff climbing accident, yeah. um, which. Could be even more true because he, the line that he told Kevin, I guess, last season uh, on the bridge was, you're the most powerful man in the world. Mm-hmm. Now. So I thought it was great. He, this is a, coming from a man who's claiming to be God. So if you have that view and you think you're the most powerful being in the world or the universe and his identical twin brother, like there's some room, I guess, to to imagine that David Burton mm-hmm. has died twice now, mm-hmm. and that's why he saw him the first time in the hotel and yeah. after the lion attack. And he's doing the same thing that Kevin's doing halfway across the world. Potentially. I mean, if you're I'm going kind of getting at like there faith. are two real, two David Burtons or two Burtons uh-huh. brothers. Oh, um, okay. like a, there's a David Burton and a David Curtin uh-huh. or something, uh-huh. um, and he. Died in the the climbing accident and also died at the lion attack. Mm-hmm. You know the two brothers yeah, did. Yeah. 
isn't it just as likely that he's doing the same thing that Kevin's doing? Sure. We already know he, like, if we take a story of face value, he had an identical experience to Kevin. Right. He was doing something dangerous, and an earthquake intervened, and he came back to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so he could have been, he could have been, you know, autoerotic asphyxiating himself or whatever. Um, at the same time that Kevin was dying, and they just kind of like crossed paths. So on the other hand, I mean, I know. I'm not ready. Actually, let's let's keep going because I'm not ready to start. I'm not ready to quite t- take on the question of whether this is real or not. Um, so, um, Patty outlines the logic here that it's the seventh anniversary of the departure. People want everything to go out the big bang, but they're too chicken shit to end themselves. So we're going to take it out of their hands. We're going to yeah. launch nukes at Russia. They'll launch nukes at us, and we'll uh, we'll kill everyone in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they mentioned this Fisher Protocol, which have you ever heard of this before? Uh, I hadn't. No, I I didn't know it was. Um, I I'd read it in like I think uh, there was a Fe- Feynman book about that that talked about um, this as like a, hmm. a logical deterrent, or maybe it's a documentary I've seen about uh, nuclear war. But yeah, the suggestion that you'd have this volunteer that you know has a code that's embedded in their heart that the the, the president would have to personally kill to you know like that that and. I looked up the full quote. Uh, this was in a bulletin, The Atomic Scientist, March 1981, by Roger Fisher. He says, When I told my suggestion to my friends in the Pentagon, they said, My God, that's terrible. Having <laughs> to kill someone would distort the president's judgment. He might never push the button. Right. Which, that... There it is. <laughs> I mean, is that any more absurd than anything we saw in this episode? No. The fact no. that, like, well, the president has to kill everybody on the earth. Yeah. Um... It's I I don't know. It seems like a pretty uh, it seems like a pretty good deterrent. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, do we want to say anything more about because Meg is in a weird space here because she's really what is her purpose other than to be shot by Kevin? I mean, he he gets him he gets her he she gets her gets him out of a jam with the other Kevin Garvey. Yeah, I can't tell if she's supposed to be a distraction from from the you know finality of this this event mm-hmm. i'm not sure it was really confusing to me there were several things that were very confusing this episode uh so he calls defcon one because that's the only way that patty will let him talk to christopher sunday in the comms room but she double crosses him because that puts him on lockdown the communications are cut and he's stuck in this room mm-hmm. so he snatches her glasses which i thought was funny Stares into him and swaps back to International Assassin Kevin, who's checking out the place with the sniper rifle. He deduces that it's a trap and that they want him to come in there, and God says, no, no, it's fine. Go in there unarmed, and you'll and I have an asset on the inside, and you'll be fine. And he quotes Machiavelli, but I don't know if you knew this, but he actually inverted the quote. Yeah. Because the, the, the actual quote from the prince is, um, all unarmed, unarmed prophets have been destroyed, all armed prophets have been victorious. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything that we can surmise from that? No, other than it's an inversion like a lot of things ah. in this that world. That's better than I had. And then we go part two for the penis scanner gag. Uh-huh. Um, With the same thud sound. Same thud Pre- sound. Pretty good. Yep. yep. Uh, Meg saves him from the Secret Service agents. Uh, she says the code to the lockdown bunker is 6969. Is that what she says? Yes, she does. Oh, Jesus. Yes, she does. You must have been still laughing at the penis joke. Because I think I'm it like, was, yeah. It really paints this juvenile sense of Kevin's brain that I kind of love. 
And you yeah. out, you actually see him when he's going into the comms room. He punches into 6969 real quick, uh-huh. uh, which I thought was a nice nice touch. But she's calling – I mean, this is just also is Meg calling bullshit on the Guilty Remnants uh, whole – she says they're liars that say they don't believe in love and don't feel pain. But yeah. I feel pain, and I'm in love. And God. then he shoots her, and God says, who did you just shoot? And he's like, well, you're God. You tell me. Ditches his earpiece, and then he goes to talk to Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is essentially the same conversation he has with Senior. It's like, hey, I'm here to get the song to stop the rain. Christopher Sunday says, it doesn't stop the rain. I told your dad that. And I guess this is the crux. This is what people want us to talk about. Is him having knowledge of the conversation that his dad had and the look of Christopher Sunday enough to say decidedly that this is something that's really happening, that this is a supernatural event, that Kevin is special? Is there any way he could have gotten his hands on this information? What Christopher Sunday looks like? I mean, the thing is... You've got like a whole almost entire day where Kevin was alone with John, Michael, and Senior. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea what information that he was able to share with them. Sure. So to me, there's ample room for skeptics to say, well, it's it's clear that Senior probably had in his backpack information about Christopher Sunday and what he looked like and where he lived and he told him all about the conversation and that's what Kevin used to generate this stuff in a dream. Do you buy that? I know you don't Did care senior, and I don't either, but Yeah, I don't uh I'm trying have some to... desire to know, but uh-huh. did did senior steal a file with Christopher Sunday's He stole info a printout that had but it was and... like the I think it was the address his address that the lady was going to give him but then she saw his poster. Yeah. Whether that had a picture of him I don't know. I don't know why it would, but I also don't know why it wouldn't. Yeah. And I guess <laughs> also, asking Kevin to perform this this action, right, to go in and get this yeah. song, requires a little bit of explanation. Right. Requires him to know what kind of song he's looking for, um, who the guy is. I, I think you probably have to explain it to him, and he would have some knowledge. Well, not only that, but in Australia... A crazy white American killing an Aboriginal leader would probably be on the news. I think it was on Good Day Melbourne. I mean, I'm just saying that, like, if Senior wanted to, he could probably turn on the whatever the CNN equivalent of Australia is, mm-hmm. and or if that was even on the background, Kevin would see his picture. Maybe. I mean, it's a lot of speculation that we'll just never know about. But I'm saying, like, if saying that ah, that it's it's equally. Yeah, you're right. Like, there's uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So it, it's equally wrong to say, well, this is proof that this is a real supernatural thing. And it's also equally wrong to say it's not, which is the fucking leftovers credo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are no right answers when it comes to whether this is real or not. Um, Here's the thing. Yeah. Um, Kevin had never seen David Burton the first time he met him either. Yeah, but we talked about that, how that that story was on CNN in the background of a couple scenes in season two about the man who, you know, credible story about a man who said he mm. died and lived again. So yeah, it's possible. He saw his glanced at his face. Yeah. And he just used that in dream. Like, again, it's unlikely, but that's the entire, like, that's the whole thing. Like, what about that bird? Did Kevin know about that bird in the box? The bird in the box? In international assassin. I don't know. We, I'd have to go listen to our old podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I know that Lindelof and Parada have been very careful in constructing a script to 
not have it lean entirely in one direction or another. And I think it's also it's a mental experiment for them. Like, how many coincidences are you willing to accept before you just throw up your hands and say it must be God? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're you know in a vast infinite universe, it's very dangerous to say any coincidence is is impossible to have happened. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm all about this thing being like a supernatural plane, some kind of afterlife sort of thing. Yep. And um, I'm, and I'm so. still, I'm still rocking the opposite. I'm still holding on to my rationality. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he breaks, uh, he, he, he switches back when SS break in, um, and he, he looks into a reflection of mirror of a monitor, switches back with the president, um, he breaks Patty's glasses in a fit of peak, and Patty explains that she's here because he helped him uh, long ago uh, achieve peace, and she's here to repay the favor. And she asks him, "What does you want?" And he says, "I want to go home." And he says, "Do you?" Uh, the new Kevin. So there's also there's these red lights flashing, and I thought that might what might be happening is like there's this a smoke alarm, and that senior is going to try to communicate like in the middle <laughs> of the vision, like hey, don't listen to her, she's full of shit, blah blah blah. Uh-huh. But instead, it's the identical Kevin, and she sings this Patty Duke song. Um, it's, it's, it's she sings identical Kevin's, which is, I guess it's a, a riff on the theme song to the Patty Duke show. Um, and she, I don't know. There's a lot of humor in here because uh, they instantly take issue with this whole scenario, and she, they're like, this is fucking stupid. She's like, gentleman language, and they both in unison <laughs> fuck say, you. fuck you. And I, I always watch in subsequent watches with the subtitles on, and it said, the subtitle said, Kevin's, fuck <laughs> you. Which I thought was, I don't know, really funny That's in great. some way. Yeah. And she's like, what is your problem with the protocol? It goes, the problem is this is just stupid. It's, it's bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. Yep. And then the other Kevin's like, yeah, why would I volunteer to be cut open? And then she hits him with the book, presumably of Nora, um, which that was the secret. We didn't talk about this when she had the football, the nuclear football, and she also had this other one. It's like, well, hopefully we won't need this. Um, but uh, he reads this, this short story. Now, did you look at on Reddit, someone had taken a screenshot of the actual page, and there's a couple of highlighted things that Kevin left out. Sure. Um, I'm going to read that now. Um, so the paragraph he reads said, um, for her to know that and to touch his cheek and the whisper words softly into his ear, all of that was a nightmare. All he knew was to run. And then the part he didn't read is, but now here he was free. And then the final paragraph says, he took a deep breath of air, tasting the salt in his tongue, and closed his eyes, leaning into the spray as the merciful picked up speed and sailed for the horizon. He was alone and all was well. The sentence that he did not read was he did not have her and he did not want her. He had this and this was enough, always. He would always have the sea. Hmm. What do you make of that? Sounds like Dean the dog shooter. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, he's probably coming to terms with his contradictions, coming to terms with um, you know, how he feels about the whole thing. And I think he's intentionally leaving parts out. Hmm. Why does, and why does Patty, I guess, why does Patty let him get away with I, it? I think it's representative of him changing his mind, I suppose. Because Patty wants him to change his mind, right? Right. That's what Patty wants, destroy this world. Right. Um, you don't think it's a prop error? Uh, I, I don't know, maybe. I'm just saying, if Lindelof doesn't know that we're going to freeze frame this and post it to Reddit yeah. three years in, then he's a fucking fool, and he doesn't strike sure. me as a foolish person. Ten years in, I mean, they did... <laughs> 
Lost was all lost. about this, yeah. too. Yeah. We, we, we freeze-framed the fucking shark fin, dude. That was back in season two. <laughs> right. A long fucking time ago. Yeah. Uh, so he gets it. So they, they get to the end of this where it's all about a man's inability to accept comfort and closure and love. Mm-hmm. And uh, the international assassin says, rip this thing out of me so we can never come back. How easy would it be to convince yourself to do something? I think it would be so easy. Do you? Yeah, because you. I wrestle with things all the time. Yeah, but it's hard, right? But you have like perfect knowledge of yourself, right? Do you? That's a that's a that's a stunning stunning assertion. Well, I mean, you have you have all of the reasoning that you would go through in your own head to make a decision happen. Right. So it'd be very easy to convince yourself of anything. I think. Yep. And also, science tells us that the vast majority of the time we make a decision. Uh, it's it's a snap, thought, unthoughtful decision without thought that we then use our brain to rationalize. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it might be all decisions, which is which is, is frightening and and uh, has a bunch of questions about free will and how we punish crime and all kinds of stuff that we're not going to talk about in this podcast. Nope. Um, but one Kevin goes and cuts the other Kevin open to the Beach Boys. God only knows. Uh, some of the FX work is kind of dodgy here. I thought. Um, of him reach but you know who gives a shit that's not the point yeah um he gets the key out uh as the kevin the international assassin kevin dies he says we fucked things up with nora and it seems like the guilty remnant kevin agrees to i agree that. i agree yeah um, sure did buddy <laughs> I, I don't know that she made it easy all the time and she's got her yeah. own problems maybe how awesome would it be if fucking Nora goes to Purgatory and like has an identical Nora twin and does all this? Shit? That'd be pretty the cool. The Sarah or whatever. Her yeah, name was. yeah, yeah. Maybe that. Oh my god! It could what be. if old Nora is just part, like the part of the Purgatory that we got the glimpse of in the first season? Holy shit! First episode. Yeah, it now might I'm be. getting expectations. This is dangerous. <laughs> Um, the launch is approved. The theme, the 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 uh, uh, leftovers theme starts up, and the Patty and him go out and hold hands, which is a mirror of them and uh, little Patty from last season. Mm. And these firework looking warheads come and obliterate everything. Which, yeah, fantastic. Which wakes Kevin up. Great fantastic shot. shot. Great shot. Also, here's something cheeky. Justin Thoreau back last September on the wrap day for the cast. Did you see this? Mm. You know how like the iPhones got this app where you can choose a photo and then it'll like be like a bomb will drop or like a, you can like have it like a missile strike or machine gun. He posted an Instagram during the wrap. He had a picture of like Lindelof and then all them standing on the set and he used uh, an MRV strike to destroy them all. All right. That. That's pretty, pretty, pretty hats, hats off to you. Congratulations um, on the big dick and the Instagram account. Anyway, uh, Kevin wakes, wakes up, finds John and Michael are asleep. Uh, he leaves this, his shroud behind, which I thought was interesting because there's a, there's a Jesus parable there hmm. that when the apostles, you know, uh, they roll away the stone and check on him to see if his body's still there, that all they find is his burial wrappings. Mm-hmm. So, like, if Kevin just fucks off with his dad cr- across the Australia, Michael and John wake up and they see this empty shroud, what are they going to think? This would be the final chapter of, of Matt's book, I suppose. Yep, he finds his father up on the roof. Uh, he asserts that he thought Kevin was dead for good. He says, I'm not ready to come down. He's very much like the Millerites, and asks, uh, Kevin, now what? And then the end of the world by Patty Duke plays, which I, I saw an interview with Lindelof where I, he independently 
came up with the script idea that of having Patty sing the identical Kevin's, which is the Patty Duke song. And then the editor came up with the idea to score this with the end of the world by Patty Duke. And when, and, and when he was playing this for Lindelof, uh, Lindelof said, who, who, who's singing this? And the guy said, Patty Duke. And they like high five because of how cool it was. <laughs> Which I, I think that's like in a microcosm, why the show is so fucking good. Cause everyone yeah. is like, when we're talking about the meanings of songs and stuff, Hell yeah, they all mean stuff because they want it to. Mm-hmm. They're carefully selecting things that are going to that's going to interlock and reinforce the emotion and the, the the intellectual themes. And I fucking love it. And I don't know if I'll yeah. ever see another show like this again. I don't know. See what uh, Lindelof does next. Yeah, I, I think. But he's told this story. Why would he tell this story again? Like I think. Sure. And I'll go so far as that. I think Lost is an imperfect version of this very story. I see a lot of Lost in this show. Yeah. Um, looking back now at both shows. Like, um, like this is what Lindelof learned, and he now wants to to tell this story perfected, and now he's done it. Like, I mean, he might do other great things, but, like, will he do something this personal and this meaningful for, for, for Moolah? I don't know. I mean, I think, yeah, this show has a lot, has lost a lot of the baggage that Lost had, you know? Um, Lost had this mystery baggage that everyone yeah. was so concerned about. Um, Lost had the promise that we've got a plan and we know where this is going and it'll yep. all make sense. Um, but yeah, the the themes I think are very similar. Yeah. Um, Kevin Kevin Senior has what I think is a super important question for not just him but literally everyone else in the show. Now what? Yeah. You know, um, for Kevin Senior, his ideas of saving the world didn't come true at all. Mm-hmm. So he's He's had his personal, um, I guess, his personal identity shattered here. Mm-hmm. Now what? You know, mm-hmm. um, Kevin Jr. has had an epiphany um, similar to the one he had in season two. And the question really becomes now what for him? Is he going to have actually changed this time? Has there been some personal growth or is it something that's temporary, much like it was last season? Well, you know what they say, Jim. Third time's a charm. Yeah, you do it three times. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah, I think that this is if this is the third episode, and this is he comes home and finds Nora not looking for her, and then he comes home and finds Nora looking for her, and now he's going to come home. And if he finds Nora, even if the ending's ambiguous, as the optimist person and as a third time's a charm type of person, I think I'm just going to tell myself that they lived happily ever after. The okay. All as well. Yeah, which is also how Harry Potter, the Harry Potter series ends. That's the words it ends on. Which and, I wonder if Lindelof was was nodding a little bit in that direction. Hmm. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Very specific, specific way to end the series. All as well. But the the question now, what also applies to the audience, right? Like, right. We've dealt with Kevin and his pathos as much as I think we're going to. Now mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to be Nora. That's the mm-hmm. loose end. Is there a strong argument that this could be a good finale for the series? I think if we had done something different, some, something more, actually, with Nora mm-hmm. uh, before this episode, then sure. But I think it's important to see what becomes of Nora. Since Lori did not show up in this episode, is that proof that she didn't actually go through? She just went scuba diving and came back and decided had second thoughts. I don't think it's proof. I, no. I think you'd have to ignore basically all of the narrative of last episode to even suggest that. 
I agree. I actually think it's it's good proof that this isn't real because I think it's I think we I understood that Kevin knew he was saying goodbye to his wife. Now and I'm only I'm only getting that from the act the acting. There is nothing in the script that specifically said that. I'm just going by the performances. Now you could assert that well that's because Kevin knew that he was not going to survive this process. Mm. Like he was going to keep doing this until he's dead. Um or you could say that he knew that there's something finale, uh, in the finality of his ex-wife's goodbye. Um, that's a th- God damn this fucking show. It's just really good at putting you on the horns of, the, uh, horns of a dilemma and not being able to resolve it. Uh-huh. Um, but no, I think that's, um, that's, that's dumb. Uh, I saw some people saying that this proves that Nora's not going to go through with the machine. Because presumably if she went through with the machine, then she would be dead and appearing in the afterlife. But again... That's assuming two things, that the afterlife is real and that she would have killed herself before Kevin drowned in the pond. Mm -hmm. And none none of those things are actually in evidence, I don't think. Yeah, and I think the appearance of Mary sort of throws a monkey wrench into the whole thing in International Assassin. That's a good point. What the fuck was her state? Yeah. You know, she was comatose, but that doesn't mean she was dead. Right. Uh... I but mean, there I, she if, was if, in the if hotel. If this is purgatorial so. limbo, it's a lot easier to understand her being there because she is kind of caught between two worlds. She's mm-hmm. not a lot fully alive, and she's not dead. But then, like, how do you explain Evie being there? She got fucking blown up by a drone. She's not in purgatory, I wouldn't think. Um, is there an, is there the idea that that Kevin, if this is a real purgatory and these people are all waiting to get to the other side, is Kevin you know, like like Patty? If 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 it helped, Patty says, "I came out of retirement." Implying that she came to some kind of rest. Uh, is this an altruistic act by Kevin that he has nuked the entire afterlife so that everyone has to go to heaven or hell now? <laughs> uh, I don't think it's purgatory, so I would say no. But What do you think it is, then? I think it's Kevin you, you think it's wrestling true. with his inner demons, period. So you think this is a super, you think it's somehow supernatural, but you... Yeah, I mean, I think don't subscribe to any Judeo-Christian afterlife thought. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. not as it's not as simple as like, oh, this is purgatory. Like, it's a place where Kevin goes and he sees people that he doesn't know and couldn't have met necessarily, um, and he sees only the people who are dead there. Mm-hmm. But, but it's not like it's some literal interpretation of the Christian afterlife or the you know Muslim afterlife or whatever you know. Maybe the Muslim, Christian, Judeo-Buddhist afterlife looks exactly like a hotel. But I mean, nobody, nobody's made the trip back, so... They just don't know? Yeah. I mean, it could be. It could accidentally be a literal interpretation. Before we get feed, into feedback, I want to do what I always do this time every week, which is remind people about the club, club.baldmove.com. If you've enjoyed our coverage of The Leftovers... Know that we could really only do it, and we would have we, we only do it because uh, we are in the uh, enviable position to be able to talk about television and movies full time. It's our job, and it's our job because people generously, uh, for the most part, donate to to keep it that way, to make it that way. Now, true, you do get uh, extra features and uh, video versions of the podcast, which is a, a great way to get an advanced copy of it, and you get a bunch of uh, one off um, or recurring club only features such as quips and lunch with jim and aarons and a bunch of other bonus stuff and ad free feeds so you never have to hear me drone on and on about this or casper mattresses or go fresh or 
gofuckyourlibrary.com, which is going to be coming out next controversial month. Controversial when we started advertising gofuckyourlibrary.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, just not, just don't just just don't ever go to your public library. Just get it all through gofuckyourlibrary.com <laughs> and uh, use the GFY bald move promo code to get your first library fucked free. Uh, <laughs> or you can go to club.baldmove.com and we dispense with all that ridiculous stuff and you support independent content creators uh just your own damn self bald move or club.baldmove.com all right moving on feedback uh leftovers at baldmove.com if you want to get uh, get in on it um and we will also have a wrap-up episode i think right yeah because like if if, if, yeah. if previous seasons are in in any indication uh we'll get a ton of ton of feedback about it but i don't know because i feel like last year we didn't do one uh, I think you're right about that because we had a like monumentally huge discussion about uh-huh. that final episode yeah. um, and how it related to the season overall. Because that's the thing. And, like, if if everything is as satisfyingly wrapped up as the last season, I can maybe there won't be a wrap up. Yeah, I don't we'll promise have to one. see. We'll have to okay. see. We're playing it by ear. Mm. Uh, Greg E. If someone told me two seasons ago, this is these these first two are for the last uh, episode. Just to be clear. Greggy, if someone told me two seasons ago that I would cry instead of celebrate when Lori kills herself, I would have thought they were insane. I can't think of another character where the contrast is so vast between the good feelings and the bad. Props to the writers and Amy Brenneman for such an amazing character arc. I I mean, we hated Lori. Yeah. We hated her so much. When and she threw that lighter in the the great yeah i it, fucking hated her yeah and like i it was very easy for me to draw connections to my nut job religious mother and her and for me to have come over of course you know there's you know that's where the similarities in Lori kind of like came out of it and, yeah. and worked to actively you know fix things and make the world better mm-hmm. um but yeah i can't think of anyone who's had such a, a heel face turn that is so slow and kind of earned. Yeah. Because even last year, I wasn't digging her. I thought she was cruel to Jill, and she was manipulative to Tommy, and uh, cared more about herself and, and her success than any, either of those. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. John was tough to like at the beginning. <laughs> but That's true. But maybe not as tough for me as That's Lori. a single-season turnaround, too. It was, yeah. Um, and also, I think I kind of understood... Yeah. Like a man who lives in this town and this bullshit's going on. Like, I, I could see myself burning down people's houses. Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, Sherry S., after listening to your podcast on this episode, I realized I had a completely different interpretation of Lori's suicide. And I was surprised by that. It seemed to me that when Lori had originally taken the pills and then laid down on the couch, she suddenly remembered what the patient had just said to her about our child coming back to the exact spot which they had departed, the parking lot. This made me think Lori... Or this made Lori think that if her baby was to come back, it would be come back to the womb, so she quickly changed her mind. Even though she subsequently joined the Guilty Remnant, she still had some hope deep down. In the van with Nora, she fought hard for that lighter, which told me that even then she was not thinking of killing herself. It wasn't until she finally told Kevin about losing the baby and then asking him if he would have wanted the child, and his reply of no, that she admitted to herself that she truly didn't want the baby either, which gave her no reason to keep on living. Shortly after, she gave Kevin the lighter, which told me she made up her mind. Any thoughts on this interpretation? Yeah, that's possible. It's pretty good. I mean, it's an unprovable assertion, but it's a hell of an interpretation. Yeah. Because it it has this thing going for it. It fits all the facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it is intellectually and emotionally satisfying. 
and also it fits all the facts. I wish all the theories. <laughs> right. I wish all the theories uh, that uh, would fit all those criteria that I get sent in. Um, it is kind of uh, <laughs> if the, if the, if if, the, if they come back exactly where they departed, it, it, it would give you uh, your fondest hope, which is like a potential zombie baby situation. Oh yeah, I was looking come, for the, coming back undead. Yeah, although I guess this would be a dead mother live baby trapped inside. Yeah, I mean I've seen that. It's horrific it's in Dawn either of the way. Dead. It's in the the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, and Z Nation. Yeah, don't forget the, the great work that Z Nation's doing. Uh, man, I love that show. <laughs> Advancing the 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 art of zombie lore. Yeah. Uh, Dave McBee, uh, our our authority on all things Australia. I was planning on giving uh, the geography a pass of last episode, but when Kevin Sr. was saved, he went from the true outback to Grace's farm. But in this episode, Michael places a call saying the farm is just outside Melbourne. Depending on which side of Melbourne is... It's very hard for me to intentionally mispronounce this word every time I read it. (laughs) It's nearly 700 kilometers before you get close to the outback, shown in crazy white fellow thinking. Kevin Jr. also wouldn't have gone to the outback on his ride. He would have gone into the bush. We love Bush in Australia. I know this is a big country, but that's like saying you go for a two-hour ride out of L.A. and end up in the Midwest. Hmm. Um, okay. That's lost on me as an American. Yeah, and, like, we always made fun of, like... I mean, this this happens in fiction. Like, when Raylan Givens, like, teleports from Lexington to Harlan County to Indianapolis to, mm-hmm. and, and, and in the span of a single episode, it's dumb. When Jack Bauer effortlessly drives across LA in, 15, in, in the space right. of a commercial break. It's dumb, but you know, we're stupid Americans and we have our ideas about Australia and nothing, not, not, not even a visit is going to talk us out of it, man. <laughs> uh, but I appreciate your work this season of uh, giving us some inside scoop on Australia. Passy from London. This show, like none other, has conditioned me to react to certain musical cues. Do you guys feel the same? When those first few hotel notes started to play while Kevin was drowning, I just freaked out on my couch. To a lesser Mm -hmm. degree, the same thing happened during the intro by playing the original Max Rector theme. I'm now firmly in the Pro Season 3 intro camp. The impact that had going uh, into it had that... Wait. The impact that going back to had on me could not have been achieved had they used the same score every time. What's your feeling on this? Has... I guess the the the, the way because I've never had a problem with it. I want to ask you: Has this use of the theme redeemed the idea of Din- Damon Lindelof's reusing of the season two intro? Short answer: the the TLDR no, no. I still I still don't like the idea that they would play the same credit visuals, but not or the same intro visuals, but not the same theme song. So you would have rather had the exact same season two intro and visuals for all season three? No. What I would have rather had is different songs plus different visuals. But there's no budget for that. Right. So would you that's what I'm saying. Would so you given ra- their budget, I guess yeah, I would have rather had the um let the mystery be. Oh really? So yeah. you say just just so you wouldn't have had any of the surprises along the way? No. I, I just didn't feel like the surprises were, were effective for me. I mean, they just didn't work. Well, I'm firmly in the other camp. I felt, felt like even if I, if I was on the border, which I wasn't, that this this use of the leftovers music, juxt- I would have never thought to juxtapose season one over season two, which I thought were incredibly powerful. Well, here, here's the interesting thing. Like, they're, the thing I like about this is they don't overuse the 
leftovers theme. You know, they use it in key places where it needs to be extremely powerful. Yeah. Um, and the only way you get that is with scarcity. So, like, if you go if you go watch Game of Thrones, there's a theme that's associated with the Lannisters called uh, the Reigns of Castamere. Mm-hmm. And Look at you. they play that uh-huh. over and over and over. Anytime anything happens with a Lannister right. on screen, they play it. I must have heard it 50 times rewatching the series. Cersei's on the Iron Throne. She lets out a left cheek sneak. And Reigns of Castamere. It's going to sound like the Reigns of Castamere, yeah. Arya uh, stubs her, thro- her toe. Bullshit Stark theme. Right. And it it loses its power after a while. Yeah. Like, if they, if every time anybody had, you know, something strange happen to them or something confusing or something amazing happen to them and they played the Leftovers theme, it'd be like, okay, that's the ninth time I've heard that this episode. You no kind thanks. of turned to parody, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's what Reigns of Castamere is becoming on Game of Thrones. I mean, there's a difference in, I mean, so the, the Leftovers music isn't a motif. I feel like that you've got to you've got to give true. people a little because like when Darth Vader comes on screen, goddamn it, I want to hear the Imperial March or at least a few bars sure. of that playing. And then when he's he's dying, you can play the sad version. And then when he's getting you know, um, this is different. I don't know what you would call this. This is like a fucking Pavlovian response. Mm-hmm. Like the like like the music. It's almost like the music has its as as faith. That if I'm being summoned, the writers and the actors and the directors are going to do their job. That I'm not going to show up and look ridiculous. Uh-huh. Like when Max cracks his knuckles and like sits down at the at, at the piano to do this thing. Like I'm going to fucking destroy the audience. And if it wasn't, if 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 it was just the music, although you've seen all the YouTube videos of where they've taken the theme to like Transformers to Marvel's The Avengers, and, like, it does add a lot of gravitas and weight to those scenes. I haven't seen those, but like, I'll there, have to there's go an argument. If I was a film student and I was doing something like a kid's mom dying of cancer, mm-hmm. you can make that three times more effective by playing Max Richter's Leftover Steam underneath it. Yeah. It's really ridiculous. But I do think you're right that it's it's – they they choose it wisely for the moments that are already really good. Yeah, they don't they don't prop up weak moments with this strong music. Yeah, and true. that's why it's still so fucking effective. And it's not just that. Like she says, like this. You know, I got pumped up when Kevin transfers his consciousness into the president's body, and they hit his mm-hmm. full force with the international assassin theme. Yeah, it's just awesome. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Ben Turner, my question this week was the point of the episode for Kevin Garvey to come to realize that he lost Nora, who was someone he really did love and wanted to be with, or was it that Kevin Garvey no longer needed to look for something else that was missing from his life? No adventure, etc. Oh, I think it's the former. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not even specifically the Nora thing, you know, it's, yeah, they fucked up with Nora, but it's more about like Kevin as a human being, like what is his core hang-up, and it's this detachment, this fear, the cowardice, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I alluded to, I think earlier this season, it might have been another season of television, but there's this, um, it's a poem called Autobiography in Five Chapters by Portia Nelson. Um, I feel like that this is, this three, this is, this is kind of like a Kevin's autobiography in three chapters. It goes, chapter one, I walk down the street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I fall in, I'm lost, I'm hopeless, this isn't my fault, it takes forever to find a way out. Chapter 2, I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk, I pretend I don't see it, 
I've fallen again. I can't believe I'm in the same space, but it isn't my fault, and it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter 3, walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it's there. I still fall in because it's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault, and I get out immediately. I hit my med alert button, and the ambulance (laughs) shows up. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. And I think that is what they're trying to get with Kevin, that there is a difference between knowing what you want to do and having all the tools in your intellectual and emotional toolkit to make that a success. Sure. Um, so that's that's what I think the theme of is uh, of this is. It's it's not just uh, meditation on grief and loss, but also recovery. Because mm-hmm. uh, it'd be pretty fucking bleak if it was just the former. Ishmael I, if it turns out that Lori is dead, then why didn't he meet her in the other place? My whole position on whether this is real or not relies on that question. If Lori's alive, then it's all real. If she's dead, then it was all Kevin's head in Kevin's head. I'd like. Ten different variations of this using Nora or Christopher Sunday or David Burton. And I think we covered it qu- quite well. That if you really think about this, there's enough wiggle room for any of these questions to decide for yourself whether this is all in Kevin's head or this is a genuine supernatural event happening. I, and I can't yeah, answer I, that for you. I largely agree with that. And I think, you know, to to answer the question of why didn't he see Lori... Specifically that question, I would say, why didn't he see John Lennon? Why didn't he see literally every person who has John ever Lennon's died? Not dead. Right? He's living with uh, Elvis in a retirement well, home okay, in Florida. Well, okay, that's probably a bad example. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I'm going to go jam with him later this, this afternoon. Sure. So. Why didn't he see, you know, Hannibal or fucking Julius Caesar or right. Cleopatra? Yeah. Yeah. Because none of them are dead either. Conspiracy. <laughs> they never existed. They're made by uh, made up by the industrial historical com- complex. <laughs> right. J.J. Uh, Johnson. Now, if you recall, J.J. Johnson's been hating on this season. Has he? Last oh, three man. weeks, he's been sitting in feedback calling bullshit on this whole affair. Oh, boy. After two weeks of me bitching about the leftovers, I was blown away by this one. This would have been the perfect last episode. Kevin blows up his international world and chooses instead to live in the real one. Chooses Nora over being alone. Will he reconnect with her, uh, knowing that he wants to, or, or will we? Will he reconnect with her? We don't know, but knowing he wants to is enough. Who knew the leftovers was really a love story? It's a pretty good take of a hate a hater being uh, <laughs> being converted by the power of love. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Uh, love conquers all, as you find out in the Matrix. Even the uh, television on Wii. Uh, I'm really worried about the end of this season, the fate of the characters at the end of this season. Are you? Given not me. Get well. H- hear me out here. We had a spectacular scene of a completely nude man running through a submarine and launching a nuke last episode. Yep. This episode, we get the destruction of one of the worlds that Kevin lives in mm-hmm. uh, via nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. There's still some potential for that in the actual real world. Potential um, for what? For nuclear destruction. You know, um, we've you know we've been hearing a lot of stuff about Yemen or whatever in the ABCs of the leftovers. I think mm-hmm. is is one of them. Um, but Yemen was already I felt it touched on in season two. It was, but potentially another, you know, issue could come up there. All right. Or, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff saying, hey, there's 
real bad potential happening here in the real world as well. Hmm. I mean, the whole reason that Matt couldn't get to Kevin is because all the planes were grounded because of the nuclear strike, right? It's because the lionesses wanted to extract his precious bodily fluids. Well, and that's part of it. <laughs> but, but I, so I want to search something. See if you agree. So I want to search something. See if you agree with it. Okay. I think all of the alphabet for the leftovers has been fulfilled, except for the final one, Z for zero, our final score. Okay. Um, my my thought is if you agree that the international assassin world is a acceptable creative analog for the real one, then zero has already been fulfilled for that as well. So the final chapter is 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 cleared the way to just worry about. Kevin and Nora, because every literally everyone else has spiritually, creatively been dismissed. No Jill, no Tommy, no John, no Matt. It's just about Kevin and Nora. And even if they don't like, yeah, I hmm. like this this autobiography in five chapters is why I'm not even. I don't even care if Kevin hooks up with with a re. I shouldn't say hook up, reunites his love with with Nora. If it's too late. I do feel like he's the kind of guy who will then wake up and take another road. Like, he's got the experience and the tools that he needs to change his life in a meaningful way. A lot yeah. like, like, Tom, like Tom Hanks at the end of, uh, uh, at the end of uh, Castaway, uh, which I just recently watched. You know, his life with Helen Hunt's over. That's something he's pinned his whole, whole recovery on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not possible. She's moved on. So... He takes the road not traveled, and I don't know. May, may, maybe he hooks up with the welder chick. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Maybe Kevin will find his welder chick. Maybe is it the one from MythBusters? <laughs> sure. Yeah, she's pretty cool. She is pretty cool. Uh, and if not, he'll just have to console himself with his rugged good looks, charming wit, and massive penis. Right. He'll have to. He'll have to console himself with that. Yeah. Uh, did you want? To, I'm sorry. I've been making a bunch uh, of jokes. I feel yeah. like I've trampled your your probably heartfelt emotional thing. No, that I mean, there's an idea also that um, Kevin Senior is is worried about this difference in the dates, um, and that oh, perhaps that shit. has something to do with it. Like, oh, the world didn't end today, but it might end tomorrow, and not for the reason you think. Oh shit! Like. There's just a lot of small thematic things that are happening that have me wondering about next episode. Uh, Ethan T. Maybe it's Return of Twin Peaks that has him on my mind, but while waiting for the scenes for the next episode, I spotted one David Lynch in the credits, uh, which is the at the one hour, two minute, 38 second mark on HBO Go, listed as a grip. A quick jump to previous episode credits showed David Lynch listed as a grip for the entire season except for episode one. Having never seen Twin Peaks... Uh, I can only assume the hotel episodes are the most Lynch yin uh, that Lindelof gets. It's clear Damon Lindelof is a fan of Lynch and his Twin Peaks. He links to an IndieWire article that talks about how much uh, Lindelof uh, credits David Lynch as an inspiration. Is this Damon Lindelof playing a small but strange homage, or is it an unfortunate name similarity for one other David Lynch in Hollywood? That would be my guess. I tried to do research with IMDb to see if this was um, a sly Lindelof nod or if this is a real David Lynch. I couldn't conclusively prove it either way. Hmm. So I guess um, I actually might try because I know Alan Sepinwall is going to interview Damon Lindelof next week. 
because okay. uh, he hasn't seen the new episode yet. I might try forwarding this to him to see if he can forward the, the get, get closure. Because I think it's an interesting question. It's not, like, hugely important, but um, if this is his way of, like, credit, crediting David Lynch for inspiration, I think it's kind of cool. The other, uh, I suppose, notable, interesting name in the credits that I keep seeing over and over and didn't think to research until just now is Nick Cuse, which is the son of Carlton Cuse, who was his yeah, uh, partner co- and partner creator crime. Yeah, on Lost. Crimes Against Humanity. Yep. Uh, Christine Z, uh, actually, we already talked about this. She won. She said, I couldn't stop thinking about how amazing it would be to, to be the Foley artist on this show for your penis, sir. <laughs> We didn't talk about that, but I I also really enjoyed them using the very clinical term penis throughout. Yeah, yeah, I, that performance your, your, your from the sir. other Kevin so good is really good too. And his like starting to look, but then looking away, and oh. the other SS <laughs> yeah. a- agent, uh, you know, stealing a glance at it. It's just yeah, God, it's awesome. God, it's so fun. It's so awesome. fun. Uh, Daniel S. Uh, this is the this is the uh, negative feedback uh, representation oh, since boy. we lost JJ. Uh, I'm a huge Leftovers fan. I've been singing his praises to everyone I know, but the past few episodes have left me a bit dissatisfied. Both Lori and Matt's arc struck me as unearned. The show spent a long time developing both characters in a certain direction. Lori as the fanatic who returned to rationalism. Matt as the religious zealot whose faith has repeatedly redeemed throughout fantastic events. His wife's recovery from the coma. Kevin's seeming immortality. Then suddenly in one episode, new background facts are introduced out of nowhere, such as Lori's prior suicide attempt and Matt's leukemia, and used to give their stories a dramatic U-turn. Almost, dare I say it, Walking Dead style? Lori's suicide in particular didn't make any sense to me. Do you agree that these moments came out of nowhere and were unearned? And if not, why? Well, I think you know that I don't agree with that, uh, based on my review of the past two episodes. Um, Matt's is a little more... um, earned i guess in in his terms because uh, matt's been on that journey for a very long time yeah and and we've seen you know in all of the matt centric episodes it's been essentially the same thing uh him trying to stand firm in his faith despite you know some some things that he maybe doesn't understand uh and Lori is a little bit closer i think to matching up with what he's saying uh, potentially being unearned and maybe them sort of backdooring some some background that we didn't know before. Can I can I assert though that there's precedence because Garvey's at their best was essentially providing information from the past that we could not possibly have known to inform us about what's about to come. Right? I don't I don't remember exactly. That's what, where what they flash mean? back to show where Kevin and Lori are still married and they're talking about getting a dog and Yeah, yeah. you know, Lori has a prenatal departure. Like those are things that we didn't know that made everything before us and what's about to happen make a lot more sense. So I guess are you saying that all flashbacks are invalid? Like yeah, is that the, right. is that the point you're trying to get out of here? Right. Because that would have to be the case if Lori's flashback is somehow invalid. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's the other thing is, like, you can't say Matt and Lori are Walking Dead characters. We've had right. years of character development where we've seen it. Now, you might feel this thing is unearned, but that's that. I think that's that's an opinion, and it's it's valid, but it doesn't mean that 
no tracks like like that there were these characters were two dimensional and they suddenly tried to to, to, to rush a three dimensional job at the very end. These characters right. are three dimensional. You just didn't like the choices they made. Yeah. Now, now I I think that Matt was entirely earned. Like that whole story yeah, is about him too. struggling with God and God rebuking him for mm-hmm. not thinking that he can handle his own business. Yeah. Oh, the world's going to live or die based on whether four men are in a particular spot or not. Right. Like, am I all powerful or not, Matthew? Look, I can deal with this um, uh, th- this uh, blasphemer with a fucking lion. Uh-huh. So that makes total sense why he suddenly chilled out about it. Mm-hmm. Lori's suicide, it, it's tougher. But I also feel like, I mean, you either got it or you didn't last last, last episode. You either got that, yeah. and I, I felt like that the emailer here had a really good interpretation of what, her motivations might have been, but a person who has based her whole life on helping people mentally heal that can't fix herself and, and can't fix anyone around her uh, that she cares very much about. Yeah. I mean. That's how I read it, certainly. I mean, I don't want to belabor the point, but suicide doesn't really make any kind of sense. It's always kind of, uh, uh, you know, ask someone who's been a victim of, of uh, or not a victim of it, but, you know, victimized by someone that they love killing themselves. It never makes sense. Like, Yeah, and I, I mean, we had to see, you know, her attempts to to yeah. come to terms with how she felt. Um, and I feel like that's what we were doing in the previous seasons. Now, a lot of that was wordless, which probably doesn't help um you know when you think back about it but i think we've seen a lot of different sides of lori and and to me over the years it has gradually been coming around to something that you know we couldn't have known the exact details about until Mm -hmm. we got the flashback but we should have we should have understood also i think last episode would work just as well without the flashback to her therapy session and trying to kill herself that adds hmm. more information and context and texture to her character, but it was unnecessary yeah. to understanding the decision she made. Yeah. So, like, that's the other ultimate defense about it being, a, like, you know, you have a character that you wouldn't go two shits about except for a hasty at a hastily added backstory versus a character whose backstory you could have omitted and the beat still worked. Like, what the, 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 the things that drove that were her relationship with John, her relationship with Matt, her relationship with Kevin, mm-hmm. and her relationship with, with her own call to be a healer for people and, yeah. be, and, fail, and, and not being able to do that anymore in this world, to, in, in, her, in, her, um, in her mind anyway. So that's why, I mean, like I said, Daniel, it's, it's not that you have a bad take or it's invalid. It's, uh, mostly I'm just bummed. Honestly, when I get people to say they're not feeling this, it's like, man – what a kick in the crotch to go through this journey and be a fan for three years and then mm, to be yeah. left cold by the last three. And I'm glad in a selfish way that I'm not so far suffering from that. Yeah, I honestly think this season for me so far has been as good as season two. Yep. And I said in 2015 that it was the best thing on television. Yeah. So, and that's all I wanted. I wanted some. Yeah. I wanted the end of the series proper to be as emotionally satisfying as the previous ends of the seasons. And I think, I think we're going to get it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think some people will get it and some people won't, you know. And, and I don't mean get it as in understand it. I mean right. get have the, the emotional, emotional fulfillment that they want. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so that's all we got for this week. Uh, I'm sure next week will be a big week. Uh, leftovers at baldmove.com if you would like to send us more feedback you can also 
Get in touch with your fellow fans at the forums on forums.baldmove.com. You can also follow all that we do at Bald Move by going to baldmove.com or following us on social media, facebook.com slash baldmove, at baldmove on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, but we've got a big week coming. Until then, until we get to the Book of Nora, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you then.